everybody, Luke McElroy from Mess Performance Consulting here with Nick Jane Koskis. It's been a while since we've done a, a podcast together. Uh, welcome back to another Physiology Secrets. We're just heading back from Ballarat, just to school up there. And my car cooked it, so Nick's on driving duty, so I can do podcast duties. So um, we're sort of having a brainstorm about you know what we can talk about, and we wanted to jump on and have a quick chat about relative strength in the gym. Sort of ties into this 2000 watt challenge that I'm, I'm attempting, uh, but also how that relates to plyometric training and we'll sort of just discuss uh, the pros and cons of, of using plyometric training for, for different sports, running versus cycling versus swimming for example, um, and also some, some targets in the gym that we want to hit before it's considered safe to do plyometrics, but also what the major benefits are, keeping in mind that we're all endurance athletes, you know, how, how much strength is enough um, and, and really should we do plyometrics for endurance performance enhancement? Um, and so where the trade-off is there. So I might uh, just start off by uh, throwing to Nick and just sort of explaining what relative strength is and maybe why it's important for performance and or injury prevention standpoint. Yeah, so pretty much relative strength is strength determined to, in relation to how, how big you are essentially. So um, you're taking your maximum, one repetition maximum for example, so how much you can lift in a single single movement, maybe a, maybe how much you lift in a maximal squat, and you divide it by body weight in, in kilos to give you a uh, give you a relative measure. So pretty similar to how we calculate relative VO2 max, um, but from a gym perspective. So what that's telling is it's giving you the, the amount of body weight, essentially, uh, or the amount of weight you're lifting relative to your size. So uh, for example, a, a 60 kilo athlete deadlifting 120 kilos is two times their body weight. Um, that's, what we, that's what we're looking at there in terms of gives an indication of how strong you are overall for your size. Obviously, the bigger guys are going to be able to lift a heavier weight, but it's all relative to their muscle mass, their, their, their height, um, and their weight too. So um, it's, a, it's a good indication of where you're at in terms of how strong are you for your overall size. Yeah, so, so basically what, what it means is you're, you're, what do you say, 60, 60, 60 I'm, I'm probably about 62, 63. Oh, let's just say 60 to make it easy for the math. So 60 kilos... Um, doing a you know, 120 kilo deadlift, two times body weight. In, in comparison, 80 kegs for me on a very, very good day, quite close to 83, let's be honest, but 80 kegs on a good day, uh, I'd have to do 160 to have the same relative strength. So what are the benefits of having relative strength versus absolute strength? So you know, if I can lift 160, wouldn't that be better than 120 from a, a performance standpoint? In, in, terms of, in terms of overall, Potentially it depends on what you depends on what you're aiming to achieve. Um, if you're a if you're a track cyclist, so based on your 2000 watt challenge, if we're looking at putting out as much power as possible, having that excess mass may be beneficial in terms of translating that to power output through the pedals. More mass behind the pedal, potentially producing more force into the pedal and potentially a higher power output. Um, so it could be beneficial there. But if you're talking endurance running. Um, to be able to lift that additional additional weight and bring up the relative, potentially you then need that additional size like we talked about with the, the cycling example. So if you're carrying an extra five or even 10 kilos of extra mass to put out that, that, that higher, higher weight lifted at a maximal level and, and higher relative strength overall, you're then carrying that excess weight with you uh, through the run. And we know that carrying the excess mass isn't gonna make you as efficient in terms of that endurance activity, particularly in a weight bearing setting. In a non-weight-bearing setting, like your, your flat cycling, track cycling, rowing, swimming, you're probably going to get away with it. But in the in the weight-bearing stuff, going up hills, um, running's a prime example. You 
probably going to struggle a little bit because you're going to have to put on that extra size overall to be able to get get the weight off the ground. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so as a summary, I guess said it's sort of you know. You're absolutely same with Vero Max. Your your absolute power output or your absolute strength is yep. going to be better indicated for the for the non weight bearing guys. So the track cyclists who are 100 kegs have have massive quads. It's beneficial for them because they don't have to carry their body weight up a hill. Whereas chucking on the hill, and it's going to be about relative strength in terms of performance. So from a running standpoint, um, even sprinting would be relative strength, wouldn't it? Because you've got to overcome your body weight um, every step. Yeah, to a uh, sprint. Yeah, to to an extent, nowhere near as much as you're still heavy. You're still going to be heavy, but you're going to be heavier than a marathon runner, for example. It still results in power output. Comparative to yeah, comparative to a track cyclist, a hundred meter sprinter does not is far leaner and far would be far lighter than a track cyclist. Um, They're carrying a lot of mass, uh, muscle mass, but um, they still have to overcome their body weight compared to the track cyclist, where it's just raw power. Yeah. So in the context of of let's go endurance performance. So in the context of endurance performance, why? What do you recommend in terms of what should our relative strength be for on our squat and a deadlift if they're the best yep. indicators? Yeah. Um, and you know, what's the benefit of, of being able to do that? Um, body weight or whatever. Squat, squat and deadlift are the easy ones because they're the movements that most most athletes will be doing because they're quite simple and there's great benefit from both. In terms of squat, the general sort of recommendations are, are about one and a half times body weight at a maximal level. Um, so if you're a 60 kilo athlete, it's about a 90 kilo one repetition max. Um, for a deadlift, two times. So you want to be able to deadlift a little bit more than you can squat. Uh, makes a lot, little bit more sense using the glutes, primarily larger. Um, they're just sort of relying on the quads. You've got your glutes and hamstrings in the, in the deadlift. Um, so there's sort of general recommendations, but uh, I mean, it's it's balancing it to, to how strong may be strong enough. Um, and it's gonna be different for each each individual athlete too. I mean, you, if you're a super lean marathon runner, you may not need to get to that one and a half times body weight. Maybe one one times your body weight is going to be where you max out because you, you've got to balance that. How much size do I need to put on to be able to get up to that uh, that one and a half time time body yeah. weight type lift? So, so yeah. So, so from, from a from a, a general principle, you know, the general principles. Then we talk about context. The general principle: one and a half dead. Uh, sorry, squats squat, two times deadlift. Two times deadlift. And, and what does that mean? If I can do that, what does that mean for? Is it a performance thing? Is it an injury prevention? Like, what? Why do we want to have strength? Yeah, gen- generally injury prevention is the key one that gets talked about with the the, the one and a half times benchmark and the two times benchmark. Yeah, tolerate more load. Yeah, tolerate tolerate greater load. Um, allow the joints to be able to absorb load better. Um, it, it general general sort of health benefits that you associate with resistance training are coming at that point really. Um, yeah. Bone strength, joint strength, uh, tendon uh, strength, muscular strength overall. Um, ability to be able to output force. Everything's coming as a result of that. That's sort of the the, the benchmark. If you if you're looking at athletes who are stay relatively injury free, they're floating around those numbers um, yeah, yeah. relative size. So in terms of, I mean, that's all that's all uh, good. Getting the gym and, and lift heavy stuff. But from a performance enhancement point of view, we obviously need to translate that strength to something a bit more sport specific. Um, one thing I I probably not doing just yet. I'm doing a little bit of plyometric, but something I'll be doing. Um, probably more three, four weeks down the track, which gives me not long another four weeks to, to hit this 2,000 watts. Um, yeah, we'll be doing a lot of sports-specific plyometrics, so I'm planning to do a lot of uh, box jumps because that's going to be specific to cycling in terms of the, the motion that I'm doing, so squat jumps, box jumps, whatever you call them, um, and a lot of on-the-bike sprinting. So it's not so much plyometric, that's more, more on-the-bike sprinting to work, to work the whole force velocity curve. Um, talk to me about... I guess some considerations 
of plyometric training, so some, some standard guidelines that we want to hit to ensure that we are strong enough that we don't get injured. Um, but then, you know, the pros and cons of putting it into an endurance training program, cost benefit of, of everything else. Yeah, so um, the, I think the general sort of recommendation for getting into plyometric work is about 60 contacts per session. So if we're looking at, if we're looking at contacts uh, being, say for example, one contact could be one jump. Uh, you, you want to be performing six, is it roughly around that sort of 60 Probably mark. top end 60. Um, top end 60s, I think, yeah. Where 20 it, where to 60, sort of, 20 for a beginner, I would have thought about 20 to, to 60, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, so up, up to that up to that 60. It depends on your sport term, I mean, if you're a, a field-based athlete where you're jumping and things are a lot, you're probably going to get up towards the higher end of it. But um, in terms of cost, cost benefit, there's you've got to think about what you're actually doing in your sport too. Um, something like a like a cycling example, the track cycling example, non-weight bearing. So you're, you're providing explosive contractions when you're doing those maximal sprints on the bike, but there's no direct impact from the ground up into into the body. So you can probably afford to get away with a few more contacts in your gym session by doing a few more box jumps, uh, a few more plyometric exercises there, compared to say a runner who might do slightly less in their gym setting because running is essentially the ultimate form of plyometrics. It's stretch shortening cycle, so you, you land into the ground, muscle and the, the, the limb is under tension, you then translate that into a contraction to be able to push off the ground and then and produce the output. So you're basically performing a plyometric action every time you take a step, seeing hundreds of contacts per session and depending on how long that run is. Uh, and the intensity of the run as well, you do a high intensity run, you're gonna get the, the upper benefit of that plyometric activity. Um, so benefit of doing things like sprint interval training and high intensity interval training, you're going to get that running economy benefit too, because you're basically doing plyometrics for the duration of the session, um, but it's super sport specific because you're running. Yeah, well, let's, let's explore that a bit better, uh, or a, a little bit more depth, because plyometrics being um, developing, or it's developing power, so it's a yeah. combination of, of speed and strength, which super applicable for obviously any sprint athletes, it makes sense because you're doing that. Uh, maybe to, to an extent it's going to help you know, a crit cyclist at the end of the race, probably the wrong sort of energy system, but still somewhat applicable. Yep. Um, but the real benefits in my mind for endurance runners, triathletes, etc., who, who maybe aren't pushing you know, high amounts of power output because they're just being steady the whole, throughout the whole race, um, is the running economy benefits. Is that sort of where you're leaning in terms of plyometrics as opposed to performance benefit for an endurance runner? Um, would you recommend plyometrics more so because there's a correlation with improved running economy, in which case we can save energy and all the rest? Or yeah, most, what are your thoughts? It, it most it mostly be an economy factor. It's not going to be um, uh, unless you're unless you're sprinting in your event. Um, yeah. It's not it's not going to necessarily translate to we, we're not going to need that top end power output for the duration of the event. I mean, you have a look at a have a look at a triathlon, the bike lever triathlon, for example. You're not you're not going to be sitting at your VO2 max intensity. You're not going to be sitting at a, a yeah, I mean, and maybe, yeah, you're not you're going to be pushing 2,000 watts for an hour of the bike. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not going to be that top end sort of. It is going to contribute to a performance benefit to an extent, but it's as a result of in, improved economy as opposed to as a result of in, improved sort of sustained power output, if you like. So you're just moving more effectively more than anything because yep. your body will learn to translate absorption of load into production of force and application of force a little bit better. Yeah. Okay, so where we're at so far. So relative strength, we want to hit one and a half for a squat, two for deadlift. Um, 
plyometrics useful for sprint athletes, not not as applicable for the steady state submax aerobic athletes, but it does have some running economy benefits. So what correct me wrong. So what you're suggesting is that we're better off to do our our maximal strength stuff in the gym and the translation to that to performance actually just comes through just doing normal training, running, cycling, swimming, because that's where that's where the benefit will come from an injury prevention or most of at? most of the most of the sprint interval training is going to give you enough stimulus in terms of the, the plyometric benefit. There's there's definitely benefit to doing it in the gym as well. And probably where you're looking at more is um, the, that transition from purely a max strength focus when you're going through almost like a build phase in a program um, to go from max strength focus into more of that power focus you would start incorporating some of um, some of those plyometric movements to then get you primed for maybe a, a sprint interval type session so what I'm sort of meaning by this is um, a, a good example is the, a couple of the guys who are leading into worlds at the moment um, yep. Oscar's the perfect example um, we're doing potentiation work we do a heavy heavy resistance exercise followed by a three minute rest period so we're doing a heavy three uh, what is it one one set of two uh, really heavy deadlifts about two two times your body weight and then having a three minute rest and then doing uh, three maximal broad jumps so jumping or standing long jump uh, jumping as far as you can out uh, in front to get his body used to producing a lot of force having a rest period producing that that uh, the fastest uh, production of force possible, so the highest rate of force development, so the speed component. Um, so then when it translates to his high-intensity running sessions, he can combine the two and produce the highest amount of power okay. output into... Yeah. So it, it's in, it's there, there's a time and place is yes. what I'm sort of getting at. Is it's um, given, given the type of event you do, you just have to consider the loading. And if you're going to be doing a lot of running volume, um, because it is plyometric in nature, you're getting a lot of contacts in your session and adding a high amount of contacts in your gym session may not be the best way to go about it in terms of uh, an injury perspective. Yeah. We're looking at um, Achilles, resilience, things like that. There might be some better things you could do in the gym. You might do some isometric stuff to improve the, the Achilles and, and calf in terms of running economy from the gym perspective, but then get your, your, your plyometric, your, your traditional sort of plyometric type activity in the running session itself. It's far more specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for plyometrics aside, it sounds like we know that having improved relative strength is going to be good from an injury prevention point of view, being able to, to tolerate and absorb load. Um, but something you sort of touched on then, doing doing your gym work, your max strength work in the gym, will then allow you to tolerate maybe those zone five high intensity interval sessions yeah. a bit better, whereas a lot of people get injured doing the stuff. That's why I say let's do 80, 20, 80% long, slow, 20% high intensity because people get injured from that load and that yeah. 20%. So that allows us to then hit those sessions and high quality, get maximum aerobic stimulus adaptation, so then we yeah. can race faster that way. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. a little tool. I think, yeah. I think that's that's probably a really good summary. So uh, probably the last thing to finish off on is obviously trying to provide as much value as you can with these podcasts. Keeping it simple, Give let, let's give the audience to say, well, hypothetically, we're, we're a runner who is completely new to strength training, is mm-hmm. um, super unfamiliar with the gym. Let's break it down into, let's give them a four-week plan. What are we doing? Yep. Four weeks, keep, keeping the exercises simple. What can we do to take them from never being sat, sat foot in the gym, keeping in mind everyone's super busy and we want to get, get in and out in 30 minutes. What can we do in the next four weeks to uh, get started 
in developing our strength so that we can perform well in these higher intensity sessions. Yeah, in terms of biggest bang for your buck, if you're looking at someone who's never never really done much strength training and trying to get into it, would be one squat type movement, one deadlift type movement, even out front and back in terms of squat targets more the, the muscles on the front of our body, so anterior and the muscle on the back of our body posterior is more the deadlift. Um, I'd be doing, in terms of biggest return, uh, for a runner specifically, spend a lot of time on one leg. So doing a, a single single leg squat variation. So you might do like a, you could do a lunge. You could do um, a, a Bulgarian split squat. So it's just um, one foot, one leg out in front. You put the, your back leg. You're basically in a lunge stance. You put your back leg up on a chair, um, and, and you can start with body weight and then, and then load it quite slowly and progressively. You don't don't have to go too heavy too soon. Yeah. Um, obviously, because that's the other end of the spectrum. You overload too much and it, it can do more damage. But and we'll get those neuromuscular um, benefits pretty quickly by learning the movements. Yeah, yeah. Learning the movements are a big one, but. Doing a, a single leg exercise for, for the squat uh, variation and then doing a doing, I mean, double leg is, is going to be good a good starting point to set a good quality foundation in, in terms of a deadlift type technique. And if you've got access to um, a, a trap bar, so the bar that goes around your body, just starts you in a higher position so you don't have to worry about uh, mobility to get all the way down. It takes a little bit of pressure off your back too, so you're sort of taking out a bit of risk. Um, getting those in are uh, uh, sort of the key. How many reps? How many sets? Yeah, so three by eight, sort of my favourite, or three by ten to start with, uh, to just get used to like very light load uh, type work. Um, rest period. Rest periods so are two minutes between a set. Um, How many is, times is a week? Probably more than enough, and two times a week, really, you're going to start seeing enough benefit. You can go three, but I probably wouldn't. If you're in season, definitely sort of one to two. If you're off season, two to three. Be, times a week could be the, the recommendation but those two biggest bang for buck exercises and that sort of 3 by 8 sort of perfect for developing that max strength yep cool cool we're almost 18 minutes in so probably officially the longest podcast we've done let's do a quick summary yep. um, and, and we'll, we'll get out of here so as a quick summary relative strength is important because one we want to be able to tolerate and absorb load it's also going to help us with our running economy uh, particularly doing some sort of plyometric exercises, 20 to 60 contacts. Be careful with the cost benefit of that because we do need to be quite strong before we do a plyometric training session. The biggest bang for buck is to do uh, those compound movements, deadlift squat. We want to do, as I said before, one and a half times for the, uh, for the squat, two times for our deadlift. If we can get towards that, that's going to allow us to uh, tolerate the high load uh, the high loads in those zone five sort of sprint sessions, the 30 on, 30 off sort of sessions, so that maybe if, if you know, based on your needs analysis and what and what training you need to do, um, we don't necessarily have to do 80% aerobic, 20% sprint, because we might actually be able to change that to sort of 70, 30, but also become quite, uh, respond to that quite well because we're, because we're strong. As a way to get started, if you're new to strength training, get in the gym. Two, only when you really focus on two movements, a squat, a squat and a deadlift variation, um, it can start out without a bar. You can just do, literally just do a lunge, with a weighted, weighted or, un, or unweighted lunge. You can do a squat, um, just YouTube deadlift and then and, um, show, see how that's done. And just focus on um, eight to 10, you say? Eight to 10 reps? Yeah, eight to 10 reps. So three sets three with a two minute recovery twice a week, uh, and that'll get you started. Speak to you again soon, guys. Hopefully that was useful. Uh, any questions, sorry, look at any questions you have, Please post them below. We actually took us about 15 minutes to figure out what to talk about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, you, you know what you want covered. So ask a question, 
give us a bit of a background about, it could be a case study question, give us a background of what you're doing training-wise um, and, and the challenges that you're facing so that rather than us just educating on the principles of training, we can actually apply uh, some practical applications and, and use that case study um, to, to be very tailored towards you. Okay, General principles are great, but we know that the art of coaching is all about uh, making it work for an individual. So please post some questions below, whether it's in the podcast or in the Mets Mastermind, uh, and we'll speak to you again soon.